Welcome to this podcast, which was recorded at the Australian Farm Institute's Roundtable on valuing agriculture's natural capital in October 2019. I'm Richard Heath, Executive Director of the AFI. The Roundtable interrogated opportunities to build natural capital in the ag sector and asked what support is needed to progress the implementation of ecosystem services in an Australian landscape. The three Roundtable sessions offered different insights into these topics. We hope you find value in these recordings of the speakers' presentations. Environmental services are talked about today, quite often, you hear about regenerative agriculture. So what better person to come and talk to us about what regenerative agriculture is than the founder of the Regenerative Agriculture Alliance. Can you please welcome Lorraine Gordon to the stage? Thank you. Wow, I'm very pleased to be on a panel this morning with such distinguished gentlemen as Mick and John. But a bit worried about the fact I'm the only one with a PowerPoint presentation. So early in the day, I promise it won't be death by PowerPoint. What I'm going to focus on actually is not so much the past, but the present and the future in this space. So folks, we have some challenges. And I know that a lot of you have seen these sort of graphs, courtesy the horrible looking one on the right there of ANU and the IPCC. So here's our current status. This is the challenge we're facing. By 2020, we're looking at 1.5 to 2 degrees Celsius change in Australia. That equates to 3 to 5.4 degrees worldwide. This is science. This is 97% of scientists agreeing. We've heard this stuff before. We're already seeing global security ramifications, such as heat waves, floods, droughts, refugees from uninhabitable lands, mass extinction of insects and coral, wars over water and food. We're seeing that unfold now. The scary part is the trajectory of where this is heading if we don't do anything about it, and it's this red part. So if we're looking at 5.4 degrees change base by the year 2100, that's equivalent of the Ice Age. And I just, I don't know that everybody is getting that. That that's just if we don't do anything about it now. That's where we're heading. Unfortunately, it's not here. If we could hold it about here, we'd be okay. But that's, that's not what the scientists are telling us. So yes, we have some challenges. We also, as farmers, have some massive challenges. We're putting in higher inputs, but it's resulting in 70% less profits in farming. And this has been going on since the 1950s. Our wheat crops are stagnant, and that's been going on since 1990. Farmers, scientists, and advisors are working harder just to stay in the same space. Here's the yields for our major food crops. Now, these are global statistics, but you can see stagnating, basically since the year 2000. This is our pesticide use. Obviously, it's been going up astronomically since the 1950s. And here's the diminishing returns of our fertiliser applications. So while our fertiliser levels go up, here's our returns. So I'd say it's wake-up time, really, in this space. And I'm, I'm not going to talk all negative because I've actually got some solutions. So I don't want to depress everybody so early in the day. But it's good just to get a picture of where we're sitting at right now. We all know about the law of diminishing returns. You can see what that looks like. For those that aren't economists, the law of diminishing returns states that in all productive processes, adding more of one factor of production, example, mineral fertilisers and pesticides, while holding all others constant, will at some point yield lower incremental per unit returns. 
The law of diminishing returns implies that adding more of a factor will decrease the total production, a condition known as negative returns, though in fact this is often the case. Phosphorus, another interesting fact. Here we are going to peak at our phosphorus levels in, a, in the year round 2040. The remaining supplies, guess where they are? Russia and China. Superphosphate may be a thing of the past. And uh, apologies to the economists in the room. I should actually remove the word economist and put the word politician into this. But anyone who believes exponential growth can go on forever in a finite world is either a madman or a politician. So here's where the regenerative ag story comes into it. And for those that don't know what regenerative agriculture is, it's not new. It's been around for a long time. There's some gentlemen in the room that I know have been working in this space for 20-odd years. Here is a few definitions. There are many. And it means different things to different people. Regenerative agriculture is a system of farming principles and practices that increase biodiversity, enrich soils, improve watersheds and enhances ecosystem services. These are some of the common regenerative farming techniques that we have as tools at our fingertips right now. These are more or less accepted by most of the regenerative agricultural family around Australia. They're ever-changing, they're not, they're not set in concrete. There will be new systems that will come to play. Some of these may fall off in the future, but at this point in time, we have things like applying organic compost, fertilisers and bio-amendments, implementing things like time-controlled grazing, planned grazing, holistic management, multi-species pasture cropping, a very important one right now. Of course, changing crop rotations, direct drill cropping, so forth managing for increased species diversity and, of course, always feral animal control. So there's a list. It's important to know that when you're going down the regenerative agriculture path, you don't try and implement all of this stuff at once because that would be like going through detox. If you can implement one thing or a couple of things at a time and just see the results that that can have, that's a far more sustainable way to tackle regenerative agricultural tools. Why at Southern Cross University? Basically, we have some substantial capacity there. We have, obviously, the Farming Together program, which is the engine behind regenerative ag. It is the one that is driving the whole regenerative movement through collaboration, sometimes, and hopefully in the future, through even carbon co-ops. But Farming Together is driving the capacity of regenerative agriculture. We have the EAL lab, the Environmental Analysis Lab, one of the leading soil labs in the world, an analytical research laboratory, plant science, school of environment, Environment, forest research, Centre for Organics Research and the National Marine Science Centre. So all of these different areas come together to really be the backbone of some of the regenerative ag research that we're doing at Southern Cross. So what are we doing? Basically it is an alliance of the leading practitioners, researchers and educators working collaboratively to bring about change. So these are the leading practitioners around Australia and the list is quite impressive of who, is, who has come on board and got involved. So we're looking at issues like drought and climate adaptation and putting forward, bringing everyone together that is working very hard in this space to put some really concrete policy recommendations together to present those to government. What happens after that, of course, is always interesting, but we are doing our part. We're also developing tertiary qualifications in the space and I'm very proud to announce that we will actually have the first regenerative agricultural Bachelor of Science degree at Southern Cross happening next year and also a graduate certificate up to master's level is following that. 
So we're working very actively in the space of, the, of education because really some of our education systems, particularly in the ag sector, have not changed curriculum in a long time. So we feel that it's time to have a bit of a, a nasal gaze and a, a refresh on that. Uh, doing some very critical research in the space, particularly around new cultivars, non-herbicide and pesticide solutions, and what we're here for today, quantifying co-benefits. Um, and you'll hear a bit about co-benefits, but we're actually working quite hard with some government organisations and other universities in this space to sort of find out how we can have these co-benefits working in the marketplace so farmers can actually earn money for looking after their environment. And that's in addition to the carbon credit space as well. Through the Farming Together program, outreach and education, there's going to need to be a lot of that. We need to bring farmers along this journey with us. There's plenty of research being done, carbon trading, in, in methodologies, in coming up with the indices that we need to be able to put an economic value on our environment, but we need to be bringing farmers with us on that journey. And that's where the collaboration models really do come into play. So peer-to-peer -peer knowledge sharing and mentoring, expert support. We've got a couple of hundred consultants still on the ground. They will all be accredited in regenerative ag techniques. And we hope to have them out into every region of Australia helping farmers in this space. Carbon farming cooperatives is a little bit of a pet of mine. I just think if we're going to do this, let's, let's go down this journey together because it is complicated and there's a lot of paperwork and a lot of expense involved. And I'll talk a little bit about that later. So what are co-benefits? Basically, they're economic values on environmental assets. Diverse environmental plantings, increased natural regrowth, restoring damage and degraded ecosystems, restoring our riparian areas, and increasing soil carbon, just as an example. And it's important to recognise that all of this, doing this sort of activity around enhancing our co-benefits, can coexist with existing farming practices. It's not an either-or, it's you do it together. So you can still farm and still be doing, looking after the environment and actually making money for it down the track very soon. So whilst the carbon credit market is moving, I think the co-benefit market of all the other environmental assets need to come with that. And I think that that could be a space we'll see change fairly shortly. So putting economic values on our environmental assets and watch this space. I guess the lending institutions, the insurance companies really have to deal with this now. You know, there's huge risk for them in lending money to farming enterprises because they do not know how they're going to stack up with a changing climate. They don't know how they're going to cope if we get another three years of drought. So they need to be able to mitigate that risk. And one of the ways they're going to be able to mitigate the risk is to be able to see, well, what are the environmental assets? How will this farm stack up in the future? How does that look on a balance sheet? And that's where we're heading. We want to be able to have on the farmer's balance sheets a value for how they've looked after the environment. If they have the tree belts, if they have their waterways, natural waterways fenced off, if they've got high carbon levels in their soils, all of that should sit on a balance sheet for a farm. And we're already seeing this play out. Farms that have all of these things in place that actually look after their landscapes are actually worth a lot more than farms that don't. So whilst it's unspoken, it certainly is in the marketplace, but we need the values to actually sit on the balance sheet. And I believe that is coming. So this is a huge opportunity for landowners to have those environmental assets sitting there. What's needed and what we're now working very hard on is agreement on the methodologies and there are a number of them 
And it may be that all have their, their place, uh, in, depending on what outcomes you want to achieve. So we're currently working with the Clean Energy Regulator to sort of have a look at these methodologies and how farmers might take them up and if it's an easy language for farmers to come on board with. Industry-specific evidence-based indicators are really necessary. Quantification and payment for co-benefits, as I've mentioned. Scientific rigour and data, as always, is needed. And government to kickstart and assist with the take-up. One of the concepts that I've put forward a number of times now is that the cost of baselining to measure carbon is very expensive. And in some cases, you might need nine transects for every soil change on a property. And if that's going to cost about $100 per sample, you can start to see how that's going to add up. So I think it would be an enormous benefit to the environment and a very good policy to actually pay farmers to baseline their carbon right now while we're in the middle of a drought, which is a damn good time to do it, to actually pay them or even put in place something along the lines of a hex loan like we do for the education system because it is an investment in the future so that when farmers do start trading carbon in five years' time, then they can start paying back that loan just as if they were putting their kids through uni. So that, that would be smart policy and that would be an immediate take-up of baselining carbon by farmers in the country. Because right now, as you all know, because you're all farmers sitting, most of you are farmers sitting in this room, a lot of our farmers are just flat out putting food on the table. So having to go to the expense of baselining their carbon levels, even though they know it's a good thing to do in the future, is out of their reach. So that would to me, form some policy that wasn't reactive but actually proactive pol policy. So some more stats there. Um, let's keep in mind, because you often hear these percentages thrown around, but actually it's only 10 to 12% that farmers contribute to greenhouse gases at the farm gate. The rest is in the processing and transport and value adding. So let's just keep that in mind. Whilst we only might be contributing 10%, Wait until you see how much we will be part of the solution. And I say we because I'm a farmer myself. Very much we're going to be part of the solution because we're the ones that can do the carbon sequestration. We're the ones that can actually pull it out of the atmosphere and back into the soil. And using those regenerative agricultural techniques goes a very long way to mitigating those issues. So what, as farmers, can we do? Reduce crop and livestock emissions. We're working on that. MLA is doing some really good work in this space, as is CSIRO. Sequester carbon in soils and biomass. Decrease emissions through regenerative agricultural production systems. What can we do to limit the rise in temperature? Well, we need to do, certainly need to do something, but I don't think it should fall on us alone or on farmers alone. But here's some ideas. Investing in reforestation, we know that. We know that works. The use of renewable energy, plenty of people are working on that. That's vitally important. Electric transport, regenerative ag techniques, which is the space that I'm heavily invested in, resulting in carbon capture, but change policy. We absolutely need a change of direction in our policies. They are so reactive. We wait until we've got a drought to build dams. We wait until we've got no hay in the paddock to pay farmers to put up hay sheets. You know, it just is reactive after reactive. It's time to do some proactive stuff. Things like first farm buyer's scheme. How come you can buy a first home buyer's scheme, which is a fantastic concept for young people to get into housing. How about we do the same for young people to get into farming? 
because that's what we need. We need our young people stepping up and coming into farming, but it is really hard for them to invest in the space. And the great thing is if they do invest in the space, they totally get this stuff. They are not climate sceptics. They totally get what's going on and they will hit the ground running. They are, they are ready to go. So let's put some great policies in place to help them on their way. As I said, government loans for baseline and carbon measurements, similar to HEX. And the thing I would like some discussions around today is the Regenerative Ag Alliance is very keen on establishing a Friends of Parliament group. We don't know what we might call that yet. Uh, it might be Friends for Climate Action, it might be Friends for Regenerative Ag Principles, but it seems that we need a bipartisan approach. We always do in politics. And this is one means of actually getting the support from all sides of government behind certain actions that need to happen. So it'd be good to have some discussions today around the concept of a Friends of Parliament group. And for those that don't know it, it, what that is about, it's really about issues that bring all sides of Parliament together to work on certain solutions around certain problems. And so it's a very proactive way to address some of the issues we're facing. A few quotes, and I can say, if you don't know who some of these people are, the likes of Charles Massey, Dr Charles Massey and Bruce Pascoe, you're not keeping up. You need to do some more, more reading. You need to have a look at what is going on out there. There are some incredible leaders in this country, and I'm proud to say I think Australia is leading in this space. We have some very proactive practitioners out there that are doing amazing things. So if you haven't read the book, the Bible, as many of them refer to, The Call of the Reed Warbler, please do get yourself a copy. It's a big read and there's a second edition coming out so you'll probably need to get the first one done first. Yeah, there's some, there's some names you should know and, and just to keep up with what is going on in the regenerative ag space. So that's me. I'm done. I don't know if I've gone over but thank you very much. Looking forward to talking to everyone later. Thanks for listening to this recording from the Australian Farm Institute's Roundtable. Make sure you seek out others in this series and visit farminstitute.org.au for the accompanying slides or more information about our work.